Okay, recording. Okay, welcome to Tokyo Jazz Trends. This is episode 22. We've got a really special uh, episode today. Um, and obviously, as we've done the podcast and things have progressed, we've had been in touch with various people across the world and it's amazing just to see uh, how far jazz kisa culture has in fact spread beyond the bounds of japan and uh, we're delighted to have um, daniel and shireen from bar shiru oakland uh, on the line today so uh, guys are you there yes we are here we are here how are you all and what what time is it with you it is now uh 15 past midnight on uh well i guess it'd be sunday morning july 26th okay and i guess obviously as bar owners it's probably not a problem for you um uh, james you, what, what time is it with you uh so it's quarter past four in the afternoon um so it's uh, perfect for me i'm i'm feeling well i'm the ginky one today and <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you're happy yes. it's quarter past eight in the morning for me so we, we really struggled i mean i think if you're going to stretch time zones probably we went to the max here with these three locations so we're really excited that we've managed to get this um get this call set up at all and um we want to start with a few questions i mean obviously um those who are listening who maybe don't know uh, about your place, uh, we'd recommend straight away they go to barshiru.com. But um, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about what it is you do? Yeah, absolutely. We are the first vinyl hi-fi listening bar in the Bay Area. And we specialize in playing albums in their entirety on a fully analog stereo system and we use jazz as our musical jumping off point yeah and uh, one other unique element of our bar is that we're a fully seated experience uh, just to preserve the nature of the sound and also comfort for guests and ability to sit down and hear each other um, which is hard to find um, in the bustling bar culture of the bay area Indeed, indeed. And how, how does that work? Because um, actually, uh, a couple of years ago, we had a picture published in The Times uh, on an article called, uh, Shh, I know it's date night, but I'm listening to Miles. And um, it was focusing predominantly on, on the sort of rise of listening bars, but in particular, Spiritland in London. And uh, certainly from some of the places I've seen, you know, there, there, there are certain features about Spiritland that are very true to the, the Japanese listening bar um, aesthetic. But what I did notice when I went there um, with Tony Higgins was that, you know, very few people were really listening to the music. I mean, it looked the part, but I did find that in many ways, it was just another kind of f fairly fashionable bar, but um, the the music seemed to be certainly on that evening anyway quite incidental. Do do you have that kind of same experience, or how do you sort of push and promote this listening culture? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question, and I think a, a a question that anyone who's going into a venture like this spends a lot of time thinking about. Um, that's interesting. You said that about Spiritland because we had the same. Uh, the same experience there. Um, that was a place that was, you know, on our radar as, um, you know, one of the first places outside of Japan that was doing this sort of thing. And we were, we were really excited to check it out kind of in our research as, as we were planning our, our project. And yeah, it was just a little, a little surprised at just the, um, the, uh, the, the way that most people were interacting with the music there. But um, for us, you know, as Shireen mentioned, we, we keep capacity 
a little limited um, so that music can be the focus if you want it to be. Uh, you know, I think it's really challenging to present this idea to American bar culture and expect people to, to get it immediately because it is mm. rather foreign. Um, yeah. No pun intended. I've, 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 I've found that um, to be completely true because when, um, you know, American friends or, or people who've contacted me through, through my website um, are coming over here to Japan and, and, you know, they've done a little reading, but they've never been into one of these sort of places in Japan. So they'll ask me, you know, what well, is it really, do you have to be silent? Are we allowed to talk? It feels a little intimidating. And I said that, no, no, you can, you can certainly talk, but you know, the focus as as you said, the focus is really on the music. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is, yeah, it's completely alien to bar culture in the States, unless you're going to see a live gig, you know, Absolutely. Um, can, go back just a minute. I was reading um, an, an article about, about the bar and it mentioned um, that you guys had come over here yeah. uh, about five years ago. Um, was the idea already gestating then um, to come over here and look at these music bars or was that something you discovered when you got here? definitely been on our list of things we wanted to do there. Um, Our tendency when we travel is to seek out both old bars and music centered or focused places. Um, So we were pretty excited coming into Japan about going to a lot of those bars and Dan had done a ton of research. Um, And and then once we actually started to go to them and, and went to a couple in particular you know, just they really had a permanent impact on us. And the, the idea of creating a similar space here in the States just never left us for almost a year. We just kept coming back to it um, until we finally decided to put the wheels in motion for one <laughs> in the Bay Area. And we have to ask then, you know, obviously, what, what were those places in Japan particularly that stood out for you? Yeah, the, the, that first trip in 2015, it was definitely Bar Martha that um, had the mm-hmm. indelible impact um, mm-hmm. from the moment we walked in to the you know first Hakshu 12 that we ordered to <laughs> the Kenny Burrell record they were playing on those incredible tannoys. You know, it was we were just like, where where are we? What is this? And how can I live here? <laughs> yep we've all been there (laughs) so yeah that 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 was that was quite honestly the spark of it and and that was actually a place that um, wasn't really on our radar and that was something that kind of that morning we knew we were going to be around abisu and shireen just did some kind of on the fly research and and found some write-ups on it and as you know their their kind of marketing presence is is nil which I yeah. really love and respect. Um, mm-hmm. So it was more of a stumble upon, and and that made it all the more um, special. I think. I think we've certainly shared that kind of experience. Um, I mean, I had a similar experience, and it's only through doing this podcast I sort of came to the revelation that um, having been in Hello Dolly in Kyoto, which we covered um, previously in a different episode, you know. Uh, going back there three or four years later after photographing all these places, I realized it was sitting there the first time that I'd sort of had this idea of like, oh, these would be interest- interesting places to to photograph, you know. But certainly we know from our travels, particularly uh, in the episodes in, when we'll be talking about Hokkaido and Kyushu, where in some ways we were sort of heading into the unknown slightly, mm. um, you know, some of the places that you can 
stumble across are just uh, incredible. And we, we often talk about how, you know, to find one or two of these places in big American or European cities, you'd be really pleased. But yet in Japan, seems there seems to just be a sort of an endless amount of these incredible bars. And like you say, not uh, in any shape or form are they grandstanding or even like, you know, promoting themselves. They yeah. just exist within their own little world and are often happy to do so. You know, it, it's it's incredible culture. Well, that's the thing is that the, the, in Japan, you know, um, very few of the places, although they're very proud of their audio systems, um, but they don't always self-identify as a listening bar or music bar. Um, you know, the most you mm. hear or see on their website will just be jazz kisate and jazz cafe mm-hmm. um but with i think with the new the new sort of trend um i don't know if uh daniel shireen if you've heard previous podcasts we did with with some friends of ours in uh in germany in berlin who similar to you have opened a um uh, a music bar and but they they said something very interesting they said that they had to really explain the concept to not even just uh, new customers, but friends of theirs, mm, you know. Yeah. Um, they had to really sort of explain what the idea was, that, that this wasn't a place just to come standing around drinking. It really was a place to come and listen to music on a good audio system. And they said that they faced some confusion at first yeah. from people who wondered, you know, what, what I can do this at home. If I'm going out, I want to go out, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, did you have a similar experience uh, when, when you opened the bar at first? I definitely think we had to do a lot of explaining to to people that came, particularly in terms of, you know, why is it seated? Why can't I just go stand over there? And, you know, why can't I do this? And and there was a bit of that education as to, like, what we are, which I think is is why it's so much more important here to to actually use the words listening bar to really define that in in how we describe ourselves. Um, and over time, it, it just came to naturally be known. I mean, I think that education just kind of, it, it, it took on a life of its own and, and people that came and experienced it ended up evangelizing the concept themselves and bringing more friends over. And, you know, I think once people understood what it was, the appreciation for having a place where they could sit down and really enjoy music while still socializing and while still being out on a Friday night with their friends and, and you know, being a little bit bustling. Um, I think everyone just appreciated the sort of also calmness and lack of stress that comes with an environment like that. Um, but yeah, the education factor was definitely a real thing. <laughs> Mm. It's probably also the the element of of difference, I suppose, as well. People always like something a bit different, so I suppose mm. in some ways that maybe helps too, does it? Uh, absolutely, and, and and even before we opened, I mean, you know, trying to raise money for the project and and fund it, and uh, you know, gather investors. Um, you know, there there was definitely a lot of. Um, a lot of explaining of, of the just overall concept, as as you mentioned, you know, it's, mm. it's it was something that that not a lot of people had experienced, and certainly um, not a lot of people were familiar with. Um, but you know that I- instead of seeing that as a hurdle, that gave us a lot of hope that we were doing something um, a little unique, you know, a little more yeah. unique than than the kind of run of the mill. Uh, bar. 
Well, it's interesting, perhaps then, um, and uh, we're always conscious that, you know, the podcast is not topical per se. So um, you could be listening to this, you know, a year or two years later when you discover it on whatever the the next iteration of Apple Podcasts or whatever it might be is. Mm -hmm. But it would probably be remiss not to talk about the current uh, political situation in terms of the pandemic and what what stood out to me there as you explained the bar in particular was that perhaps in some ways maybe you have an advantage when it comes to things like uh, the new expectations of social distancing and so on particularly in bars I mean do, obviously could you maybe tell us a little bit about how the current situation with coronavirus has affected your business and then also you know where do you see things moving forward I know that you're currently back in lockdown but but once those restrictions are eased yeah i mean we we have been um closed since march 16th of of 2020 um and we haven't actually ever exited lockdown yet um not to the degree where we could open um an indoor indoor establishment like ours Mm -hmm. um so it's been it's been brutal it's been brutal for the whole hospitality industry uh you know, from from the owners and managers to all the employees, uh, it's it's been a real rough stretch. And due to the um, completely botched uh, federal response uh, from from our quote unquote government, um, you know, we have a long road ahead. Whereas mm. most countries who are at this stage of it, uh, you know. Are, are coming out of it. Their economies are reopening. And, and unfortunately, we are not in that position. Um, but as you say, uh, you know, Barshiru is, um, we think, uniquely positioned to um, be a place that can open safely once it is um, deemed appropriate to do so from a public health perspective just Mm. because of the nature of what we do and how we operate. And I think that's where Shireen and I get really frustrated with the kind of um, mandates and and laws is the bar industry is, um, has been stigmatized. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's tricky because um, you know, when it comes to a lot of grant applications, for example, that are targeted to helping save small businesses or get them through this time, uh, alcohol, the business of alcohol can be disqualifying. Um, And, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, here in the States, money talks a lot and, you know, we've seen things open like, casinos and indoor gambling um, and wineries are allowed to serve people outside. But if you are a cocktail bar, you must close all operations. (laughs) So it's just a little, and for us, look, I mean, we have always been known in the Oakland community and Bay Area community more generally as a place where people come and know that we prioritize their safety and their comfort and their experience. Um, Our employees rely on us for that too. So we have no interest in opening before it's safe to do so. I think our just main concern is like, is anyone really taking the the interests of the sort of bar and nightlife industry seriously as a Mm -hmm. huge, huge component of the economy? Um, And and are they engaging us in the conversation? And and at the moment, that's been a bit of a struggle. with that said, luckily, you know, we, we built up a good 
customer base, a lot of friends, people that really support the bar in the Oakland music community. Um, you know, so we feel fortunate that we'll figure out creative ways to get through this for sure. Um, but it'll, it's going to be tough, I, I think. And we don't foresee being open again until summer of 2021. Oh, gosh, summer of 2021. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, wow. I, um, yeah, you, you, you sort of, um, got, into it just a little bit there uh, about the scene in Oakland. I'm mm-hmm. from the East Coast, not from New York, so I've only visited the Bay Area twice, very short visits. Yeah, um, but certainly aware that it's it's got a great musical culture, especially Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that you know now that the bar has been open for a while and and you know the God's willing, jazz God's willing, uh, <laughs> open again soon? Um, your your regular customer base, um, I'm sure you noticed in Japan. Japan. And, you know, when you visited and when you talk to people, um, a lot of the music bars here, even though they're very, very small and rent can be very expensive, uh, they have a regular customer base that they can rely on, you know, to, to have steady income. Um, do you think that until now you've been able to get the, the feel and the meaning of the bar across enough that there are those regular customers who dig the vibe, who dig the music enough that they that they will maintain, uh, help maintain the business long term? Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're really lucky in that respect. Um, you know, the 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 Oakland community really kind of welcomed us with with open arms. And, you know, we did a lot of um, networking before we opened just to reach out to the community and and make sure that people felt like they were a part of um, what we were building from from before we even opened. So. Yeah, we do have regulars, and they have been super supportive uh, throughout this. And and you know, we get we get messages all the time about how people are really excited to come back when it's safe. And um, you know, those are the kind of things that that keep you going as a business owner. And um, you know, certainly we're in the hospitality business and the service industry, so. You know, seeing seeing that like happiness and joy uh, that you can provide to people, and um, you know that, uh, that that's that's why we do it. So we we really miss that, and and I I know from from hearing from folks that they they miss it as well. So. Oh, I mean, it's been, you know, we here in Japan, we've, you know, slightly opened up again, but um, a lot of the music bars took their time to open up and it's not quite the same uh, experience as it was before. But I mean, just looking at one of the pictures of Shiru, I got so excited <laughs> thinking like on my next visit back to the States, maybe I'll just I'll just get that, that drop off ticket to, to the <laughs> Bay Area on my way to New York. Um, I, I want to geek out just for a second if yeah. we could. Just, just to get into the music for for a second about the record collection. Now, I'm looking at a picture. Um, there was an article uh, written about you guys last year in the Berkeley Side Nosh mm-hmm. paper or website, and I, I was really, um, I was really excited to see that the records that you you chose to put into this. So you've got your classic Blue Notes, you know, um, but you also had, you know, some contemporary. You got Nubia Garcia from London, mm-hmm. um, Nubia's Five, which is a great album, part of that really great London scene going on now. Um, and then you even had Funkadelic, which was just like fantastic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what kind of balance do you do? You do Like, do you keep it sort of like, you know, the, the kind of jazz cafe style during the daytime and maybe get a little more up tempo at night? Or is it just one record, one record, whatever you feel like pulling out? 
Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the day, the vibe, um, just kind of everything. Certainly on Fridays, uh, we tend to go a little more towards the uh, funk and soul direction. Um, those, you know, Friday night is is kind of like our our big night. Um, we're we're busy on many nights, but Friday is definitely our busiest night of the week. So try to keep it a little more up tempo. Um, you know, a lot of dap tone stuff, um, a lot of kind of new school, uh, upbeat jazz. Like you mentioned, a lot of stuff from, from the UK scene, the Ezra Collective, Nubia, um, you know, Sons of Kemet when, when we want to get dark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gravitate yeah. a lot to Sons of yeah. Kemet. That's a that's Especially a great album. It's a great <laughs> album, but yeah, you you might um, yeah non regulars might be a little confused when that when that might be time to go home when that comes out for some people. I, I would dig it though. I'd be I'd be ordering another drink for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, our our philosophy really is using jazz as a jumping off point. Um, so we try to play things that um, you know have spawned from from jazz, whether it's, you know, directly, obviously things I just mentioned from contemporary jazz artists or things like funk that were born from, you know, the electric miles and, and early seventies, Herbie Hancock stuff. And, uh, you know, hip hop, whether it's directly sampling things, you know, obviously the early nineties stuff like tribe and diggable and de la, um, Mm. you know, took, um, so many of their samples from the classic blue note um, stuff from the late sixties or, you know, thinking about more contemporary hip hop artists like, you know, no name and people like that who are, I would consider them jazz, you know? And uh, it's funny because, you know, when you say jazz, it, 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 I'm sure as, as you both know, it it has um, it's a weighty word, right? It has all of this, I don't know, it's just kind of a loaded term in a way. People have, people have all of these conceptions about it, um, whether, they're, whether they're right or wrong. And I think it gets kind of placed in like the academic world, so to speak. Um, you know, people think of like, uh, you know, Ascension and like... <laughs> Cecil Taylor and just like you know like really outside stuff when they think of jazz and and yeah and and I mean if you tell people I I know this from the states very well like if you know they've asked me well what are you doing why what is your project in Japan I'll be like well you know like hanging out in jazz bars and like oh you catch live music every night and I'm like no No. none of these places have live music like they just they don't get it and um, they don't really get as well the kind of there's a great picture of uh, of one of I I think it's your manager uh, Sammy. In this article, with you've got all of the you know the whiskey bottles and liquor lined up. It looks like the way a Japanese bar. I mean, a lot of bars look that way, but yeah. the, you know the way that they'll arrange it perfectly. And and you you sort of you sort of captured that that vibe really well of how you come in, order to drink. It's going to be nicely made, and you've got some rather beautiful glasses. It looks like on the bar, um, and then the sound will come out. And um, I think if you, if you like, as you were saying, Dan, if you if you tell people, yeah, I run a jazz bar, they will not have this conception. Right? They're yeah. not gonna they're not gonna assume that they're gonna hear funkadelic or de la soul. 
So mm. when they come in with that conception of what jazz is and they hear that, we've had people come up to us and say like, hey, when are you playing jazz? <laughs> I thought, <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. this was a jazz bar. <laughs> We're like, oh, well, we take a pretty broad uh, approach to what we think jazz is. And, and that's why, you know, it's important to us to have um, those the, the records that we choose to face forward, as, as you saw in that photo, I think do a lot to explain what we mean when we talk about jazz, you know? So not yeah. only are they aesthetically beautiful and, and a celebration of those artists and those albums, but it's a way for us to really quickly convey like our musical approach. I think also that's part of the, the education side of things too. I mean, I think there's often uh, with jazz and jazz bars, particularly this association with sort of the the kind of, heady days of the 80s and you know all very smooth surfaces and re you know reflective bar tops and you know uh steel and chrome and that kind of image and i think you know it is about education i mean i, I used to i lived in egypt for a year and i used to dj uh, and do a night with a friend where we just played soul music um and i used to have you know young Egyptians coming up and they would say, you know, are, are you going to play country and Western all night? <laughs> I'd be like, um, I mean, where do you start? Right. And so I think, you know, there's, there's that education around the, the, the type of bar and the listening culture, but obviously, you know, it's an amazing place to, to broaden or challenge maybe those uh, ideas about what jazz is because like, like most things you can't really pin it down and it doesn't fit neatly into one, uh, category or one kind of style either. And I think, you know, having that eclectic approach as well, I mean, obviously a lot of the places that we come across in Japan are maybe closing down for different reasons, but certainly the ones that we have found to be more successful and more viable in terms of just like a business are the ones that are a bit more forward looking in terms of the music they play and, you know, the adapting to what customers want, even if that's something like, you know, Wi-Fi or, you know, just a cleaner bathroom or whatever it mm -hmm. might be. So um, it's interesting did, that you mentioned When that you guys kind were in Tokyo, did you, did you make it to a place called Bar Music in Shibuya? Um, no, we, we didn't, I'll, you know, the, the, the last time we went, which was 2018, we actually, mm. um, found Tokyo jazz joints on, on the web and, and used it as a resource to, um, pick out some places t to target. Um, so, so thank you <laughs> for that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, this is great. But I think when we were there in 2018, our, our favorites from that trip were... Um, Bar Track and Bar Nika. Yeah. Uh, what was... There was one and more. Let, we, yeah, Bar Track and Bar Nika. I mean, you know, obviously they're all in the Martha family, um, <laughs> but have such different character and characters about them. Um, and let's see. I mean, you know, JBS is the kind of ubiquitous one, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, great place, great system, great sound, but seemed seemed a bit overrun with tourists, and the um, the owner seemed maybe a little <laughs> perturbed by that. I don't know if that. Yeah, that's a that's a long story. I'll um, I'll fill you in on that offline. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's a, a long, think, complicated I, story. It goes back about ten years. Yeah, but, yeah. I think we covered that though, didn't we, on a, on a previous episode? Because I remember James, we mentioned that we actually yeah. met there. Yes, um, and that was definitely just before the 
you know, the the sort of Lonely Planet crowd arrived and um, it's very much changed the atmosphere and certainly changed uh, the owner's approach to to customers. Yeah, Yeah. I I heard the same thing. I had a a few friends go to Bar Martha after we had gone that number of years ago. Um, And they they sort of said the same thing. They're like, oh, I think they maybe don't want tourists in here. I kind of respect that, uh, you know? Yeah, that that guy was um, similar to Kobayashi-san at JBS. He... um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, he doesn't do a lot of marketing. I think he was a little bit put out by getting the press uh, coverage that he did yeah. in, mm. in, the, in the English press. And then, you know, a lot of the times, um, you know, these owners, they've gone into it for reasons that can be, you know, sometimes a little difficult to understand, maybe, especially for us Americans. Like, they, they, some of them are really not that concerned about increasing their profits, they just want to go and 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 create the space they have, make enough. You know, they want to make enough to keep going and to live. But um, I know for a fact, like the you know Kobayashi at JBS is is very very. He was close to to closing the place actually. Wow. Um, and almost having a nervous breakdown about oh, it. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty heavy. Yeah, he's a very shy guy anyway, and um, so it was really tough for him. Uh, and um, you know, but I think he's he's gotten to a better spot with it now and understands that that there may be some rowdy people who come in and don't know, understand music bar culture. Yes. You know, you, I'm sure you've had this experience too. People come in and, hey, why can't we stand and get some shots? You know, it's totally. a bar. And, Absolutely. And it's like, uh, but but I think like that guy, he's finally, you know, been able to make peace with it. And um, I, w- I would hope you guys haven't had a similar experience with rowdy frat boys coming in looking for beer. I would assume that they would know right away it's not that kind of bar, but you never know. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny. We have been lucky enough to have a lot of really incredible press that we didn't seek out. And interestingly, part of the reason we weren't seeking out a lot of press was because we were nervous. Or I wouldn't say nervous, but it was really important for us, for the Oakland community to sort of define the culture of the place, because that's really who we built it for. And, you know, it, it is supposed, it is a locals bar. Um, and we wanted to make sure that, you know, inevitably when press comes out, it's like, oh, I'm just coming to sort of check this new hot bar off my list. Um, and, and definitely those customers would come and, and definitely sometimes, you know, customers would, you know, you could tell sort of want to feel a little entitled to have things a certain way or sort of to get ahead of the line or get their table faster. (laughs) Um, And we just, we just very much preserved our way of doing things no matter what. And we, we sort of like stuck with the spirit of Oakland and and made sure to really center that. And, you know, it worked out just fine. Um, and, And that has kind of, I think, been what sustained us um, is like a really healthy balance between ensuring that this place is really defined by our regulars with nice little boosts from customers that learn about it from the press. Um, Mm. But yeah, Yeah. I I can see how that can really um, kind of snowball. (laughs) Yeah. And obviously the, the, the press and the interest is super flattering and, Mm -hmm. and humbling and, and, and we really appreciate the people who want to write about what we're doing and and kind of appreciate that you know this this listening bar culture that that was born and raised in Japan um, is now kind of spreading across the globe. I wanted to just ask you about that actually because I I suspect perhaps like ten years ago 
these kind of bars that of which there seems to have been, you know, uh, I wouldn't say a revival so much as, you know, the, there seems to be these kind of listening bars being born in various places now. Like, what do you think the reason for that is? I, I think 10, 15 years ago, it would have been seen maybe as passe or kind of scoffed at. And yet now, increasingly, you know, we see this beyond Japan. What do you sort of credit that interest to? I mean, I see it uh, from from a few a few different angles. I think one certainly the um, huge interest in Japan and Japanese culture and and tourism to Japan, um, you know, can can be partially attributed to it. Um, I also think for us and and you know probably more importantly than that for us would be. Um, you know, just this idea that, you know, in in this day and age, we have every song that you could possibly want on the telephone that's in your pocket, and you can take it out and listen to it anytime you want. You are your mm-hmm. own personal DJ all the time. You, ne- you, you know, most people never want for um, the, their favorite song whenever they want to hear it. So mm-hmm. there's this idea of, you know, slow listening, of actually getting back to a more analog way of, um, of listening. Um, and I think, you know, th- there, we, don't, we certainly don't fetishize the medium of, of vinyl, but you know, playing a record over an analog stereo system is, is an experience that is completely unmatched by listening to an MP3, uh, on your Bluetooth earbuds, uh, from a streaming service. (laughs) Yep. You know, it's, 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 I think people are seeking out experiences more than ever before. And, um, yeah, I find that, um, you know, that you can't really quantify this, but there just seems to be a sense in the air to me that with the world as fast-paced and as sort of chaotic and, and stressful and kind of hyper-connected um, as it is these days, these type of places actually provide a way for people to connect in a more substantive um, intimate, like meaningful way. And I think people are really seeking out places where they can just sit down and have a breath of fresh air too, you know, and and feel the stresses of the world melt away. And I think that's one of the unique things about, about this kind of establishment in, in Japan and that the way that people have tried to bring it to other places is that it is providing this really like serene, calming experience, um, that it's harder and harder to find out there these days. It's so great to hear you guys say that because (laughs) I think Philip and I have, um, very much waxed poetic along those lines on a lot of our episodes, trying to explain to people, um, exactly that point that, you know, we can, we can pretty much get any tune we want to get, you know, even a lot of rare stuff now online, but the communal aspect of it, of just sort of shutting your, shutting all your other sources of communication down and, um, and sitting in that place with other people to listen to the music on a great system that, that, 
cannot be replicated. And, um, you know, from what you guys have described, uh, I think that uh, you will be getting a couple foreign guests as soon as we can travel. Again. So, <laughs> we you would know, love I to promise have not you to, guys. I won't put too many pics on Instagram, but definitely <laughs> we'll, maybe one or two. Have to oh, do no, it, please uh, post away. I mean, we, we're, we're always happy for new friends and... Uh, you know, I think that's been a, a really big source of joy. Has to, it's. I think because of the fact that people are just comfortable and disconnected from all those forms of communication, as you say, um, it's just so enthralling to see people, strangers, just talking to each other in the bar again, and mm, and yeah. people from all over the world and all ages. I mean, you know, we'll at any given time have a 22 year old all the way up to an 85 year old in there um, connecting over a song that happens to be on the record player. And it, it really transcends borders too, because, you know, I mentioned our, our friends in Germany. Um, we recently learned about a very similar type of um, establishment in Argentina and Buenos Aires. Um, and I know one now uh, in Quezon City outside of Manila in the Philippines, which is a sort of a r record bar and, and cafe. I think, um, yeah, a friend of mine was, was traveling in the Philippines and sent me a photo. I assume it's the same place he was in Manila, and he was like, this place is amazing, you gotta come I would here. Think it, I, I think it would have to be. <laughs> you know? so, I you would mean, think, it's, yeah. It's so, it's so cool, though, to know that, you know, um, that this experience, um, yeah, there is a lot more of these places in Japan, you can certainly the jazz Kisaten was born in Japan, but that feeling um, there are people out there who might not even know that it's something that they're going to enjoy um, because they've never had the chance to to really be, to 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 sit in one of these places. So um, we've been really happy to sort of connect with with you know everybody um, through our project and and certainly learning about you know you guys. As I said, I'm from the East Coast and uh, would probably never have heard if Philip hadn't told me, hey, you know, we got to talk to these guys in Oakland. I was like, yeah, sure, you know. I think that point, uh, Shireen, you make about silence is a, is a really interesting one too. About um, because I think what, one thing that that always a lot of people struggle with in Japan, I think particularly when you live there, is that I, in general, although Japan, particularly the cities, can be very noisy and like overstimulating places, I think there's a comfortableness with silence in Japanese culture that you don't necessarily see in other cultures. And it's not unusual to sit in a room with someone, like waiting for someone else to come in just in silence mm. or someone to meet you at the station, for example, to show you an apartment or something and just to walk from the station to the apartment in complete silence. And it's not awkward it's not uncomfortable. There's just a, a sense sometimes of like, why would I need to talk if I don't have to talk? And I think to relate that to the experience of just sitting, listening to a record, I think um, is kind of interesting because it's not something that's that's occurred to me before. I certainly know once I get over to America again, um, I'll definitely be making a beeline for your place. I might try and go incognito, I think, and just see how far I can push the definitions of the boundaries of jazz. I'll just request increasingly, <laughs> increasingly awful records. Oh, oh, you're going to you're gonna have to work on your accent, man. We, we, we don't take requests. So. <laughs> oh, listen, I've done a year's actor training. I can do accents. <laughs> <laughs> well look listen it's been really it's been really really nice to to have you on the podcast it i'm so glad that we're able to connect and you know uh, for everyone who's listening please check out barshiru.com i know you guys although you're not open and, and perhaps don't plan to be open until 
certainly it's safe to do so and, and you have the, the go-ahead from the relevant authorities but I noticed on your website as well there are gift cards and things available and I know you're doing a kind of a pickup service as well so if you are in the area in particular and you're listening you know please get da- uh, get down and uh, to the website and make some orders on there and um, it's really essential that we keep uh, places like Bar Shiru and all the, the jazz joints that we've covered in the project uh, open uh, and thriving as long as we possibly can we oh, are. thank you. Thank we you so guys. appreciate it. Thank you guys for that, and thank you for uh, the Tokyo Jazz Joints project. It's been uh, it's been a source of uh, enjoyment and discovery for us. So we really appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Great thank to you. chat, guys, and be safe. Yeah, same thank to you. you. You too. Take care, right. and uh, yeah, good night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay.